I have the privilege of not only filling in this week, but also filling in uh, next week as well. And uh, Pastor Urban, he really opened it up to me and he said, okay, you've got two weeks this summer to preach on a topic of your choice. He says, come up with something that you want to preach on, something that, that God has laid on your heart. Uh, and you can kind of roll with it. And so Psalm 23 is what came to me. I don't know if if you have ever experienced this, but sometimes, you know, God just places a passage on your heart. He just he places a verse, maybe a whole entire a chapter of scripture like it is here for me on your heart. And for, for the better part of this past year, Psalm 23 has been that passage for me. It's just something that no matter what's going on in my life, whether it be, you know, a torn ACL or something else taking place in my life, Psalm 23 just God keeps impressing it on my mind. And so this week and next week as well, we're going to be looking uh, at this, this, this beautiful psalm, and we're going to split it right down the middle, right? Today we're going to look at the first three verses, and then next week we'll be looking at uh, the last three verses. Um, and I've kind of given this mini-series, if you will, a simple title, and that's The Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd, because that's what we're going to be looking at. That's what we're going to be seeing about Christ, about our God, that He is the Good Shepherd, and, and I hope that this is a, a mini series of uh, encouragement for all of us, a reminder of just how much and how God loves us, how He cares for us, uh, and also a call for all of us in here as Christians, whether you know you're a believer or an unbeliever, a call for all of us to to really take stock of our lives, right? To to pause and examine ourselves and ask ourselves, are we following? the good shepherd? Do we know the good shepherd? Are we listening to his voice? Are we turning to those other things in our lives? And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and look at Psalm chapter 23. Like I said, we're only going to be really looking at the first three verses today, but I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing. And if you don't have your Bible, don't worry, the verses will be on the screen as well. But Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So a little bit of a background, some background information on Psalm 23. Uh, Like about half of the Psalms, 73 of them to be exact, this Psalm is attributed to David, right? David from the Bible, the same, you know, the same David who killed Goliath, the same David who became king over Israel, the same David who was called a man after God's own heart by God. This was likely written a little bit later in his life, after David had become king. We don't know exactly when, but it was likely later, after he had become king, after he had served as king of Israel for a while, he sits down and he writes this beautiful psalm. But way back before David was this great king, way back before David was this great warrior, this great leader. You know what David did? He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. And I think when we think about shepherds, especially in in terms of the Bible, when we think about shepherds, we often paint 
uh, a wrong picture. When we think about the shepherds, you know, whether it's David or whether it's the shepherds who are there at the birth of Christ, we, we kind of whitewash them a little bit, right? We, we paint a picture of these, these clean people who are kind of well taken care of and, and they look nice. And let me tell you guys, if you've ever worked with sheep, you'll know this. A shepherd is not a clean job. Being a shepherd is not a clean job. Being a shepherd wasn't a role of dignity, right? It wasn't something that people aspired to be. As a matter of fact, the only reason David ever had experience being a shepherd is because he was the youngest of his brothers, right? He got the short end of the stick. His, his other brothers got the other jobs. They said, hey, you're the youngest. Get out there. Go tend the sheep. Go watch the sheep, right? It wasn't a role of dignity. It wasn't, it wasn't something that people wanted to do. Shepherds were gross. Sheep are gross. If you've ever worked with sheep, they're gross. They're stinky. They're stupid. I mean, it's the truth. They're stupid. They're, they're defenseless. Left to their own devices, sheep are literally helpless. They're helpless. They can't take care of themselves at all. And so we have King David, this, this great, mighty warrior, this, this leader for God who has done so much for Israel, so much for the Lord, who wrote so many great, beautiful psalms, arguably the most beautiful piece of literature, the most beautiful piece of poetry, the most, probably the most well-recognized passage in all of the Bible, it doesn't compare God to a king. It doesn't compare God to a warrior. He doesn't say, God is my rock, God is my shield. No, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And what David is doing here, he's creating this, this intimate metaphor. He, he's taking God kind of off the throne and bringing him down to our level creating this intimate relationship. You see, a shepherd a shepherd doesn't stay far away from his sheep. No, a shepherd is right there walking with the sheep, leading the sheep, guiding the sheep, day after day after day. He's doing everything he possibly can to take care of those sheep because, like I said, a sheep is nothing without its shepherd. And so when David is saying here, the Lord is my shepherd, yes, he's saying something about God, but he's saying just as much about himself. You see, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, he said that before we can even say, the Lord is my shepherd, which is how this psalm begins, we must first have to recognize that we are by nature sheep. We are by nature sheep. And I know that's kind of a a hot button issue, a a hot word to be using right now, right? No one wants to be called a sheep. It's not something that you want to have people said about you. But it's the truth. And King David knew this. We are, we are foolish. We are helpless. We are so dependent on something that is so far greater than us. And if King David, right, King David, who ascended from this lowly shepherd boy to being one of the most powerful men in the world at the time, one of the only persons called a man after God's own heart by God, if he knew that even he was as helpless as a sheep without the good shepherd, then how much more do we have to recognize that the same is true for us, church? That we are all sheep in need of the good shepherd. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for this church. Thank you for this opportunity that I have to preach today, God. And I just pray that you would move me out of the way, Lord, that you would send the Holy Spirit to work in this room. Uh, God, that you would just use me as your mouthpiece, Lord. I pray that each and every one of us in here would, wouldn't walk out these doors 
without recognizing the Good Shepherd, recognizing the way He works and what He does for us in our lives. Father, give us open minds, open hearts to receive the message that You uh, want us to receive today. Lord, we love You, we praise You, we thank You, and we pray all these things in Your holy name. Amen. Alright, so as, as I mentioned earlier, um, I tore my ACL earlier this summer. I, I've been recovering from surgery, and uh, I'm not saying that to ask for your pity. Uh, but what that has kind of put a damper on some of my summer plans, right? It's You don't get to have the most fun summer when you are sitting on a couch with your leg propped up uh, for most of the summer. And one of the things that I'm most disappointed that I've missed out on this summer, uh, something that I've done basically every, every summer growing up, my parents are, are here, they're sitting over in the front, and they run a missions organization down in Jamaica. Uh, and the highlight of my summer, every summer, is getting to go down to Jamaica, to the inland Jamaica, and do mission work and see uh, some of my close friends and, you know, work in the communities, build houses, help build schools. And um, I wouldn't be totally honest if I didn't tell you guys that I also love going to the beach, right? <laughs> Jamaica has got some of the prettiest beaches you'll ever see, and I love getting to have the chance to go and visit the beach. And one of my favorite things to do when I'm at the beach is to snorkel. I think y'all love snorkeling. I love snorkeling. I love swimming. Okay, not very many of y'all. Uh, I should have learned. Pastor Irv asked that last weekend, and not very many of y'all were beach fans, so I should have, I should have learned that. But I love snorkeling. I think it's one of the best ways to see just the beauty of God's creation. Right? If you've ever seen a coral reef, it has no business looking that pretty. Right, the, the, those fish have no business looking that nice, but but God just He's showing off a little bit, right? That's that's my belief. At least He's just showing off the beauty uh, of His creation. And you can see a lot of cool things when you go snorkeling, but undoubtedly one of the coolest creatures that you can see has to be a sea turtle, right? Sea turtles are awesome. They're so cool to watch, and they live these incredibly long lives. If you've seen Finding Nemo, you're familiar with with that. You know, up to 150 years old, but. Sea turtles, they live these long lives, and almost all of that life is spent in water. But there's a very small portion of their lives that they don't spend in water, and that's actually right when they're born. You see, sea turtles, their eggs are laid in the sand. They're laid in the sand, and when they hatch, uh, the baby sea turtles, they have to all run down to the ocean. It's pretty cool to see if you ever get, you ever get to watch it. And so scientists began studying, you know, baby sea turtles, like, okay, how do these, how do these things know as soon as they hatch that they have to head straight to the ocean. And what they've learned is that the baby sea turtles, there's something instinctive within them that whenever they hatch, it's the reflection of the moon and the stars off of the ocean that lets the baby sea turtles know where to go. They see the reflection of the moon, they see the reflection of the stars, and they head down to the ocean. And this is actually the most dangerous portion of a sea turtle's life is this very beginning because there's so many predators waiting for them as they make their way to the ocean and there's a significant chance that they don't make it as well. And what scientists have also discovered and it's incredibly sad is that in some places across the coast in our country because of the growth of tourism because of the amount of light pollution we're seeing increasing rates of these baby sea turtles not making it to the ocean. You see, they see these false lights, these, these false man-made human lights, and they think, oh, that's where I have to go. And so instead of heading to the life-giving waters of the sea, heading to the correct light of the moon and the stars, they're heading the wrong way, and they're heading straight to their death. And I know this, this might be a bit of a stretch, but I think sometimes, church, we're like those baby sea turtles. There's only one 
good shepherd. There's only one good shepherd. There's only one good shepherd who can offer us life. And yet we see all these other false shepherds. We hear the voices of the false shepherds in our life. And instead we turn to them and we chase after them. You see, John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. In this passage, passage, Christ begins by calling himself the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have, have it abundantly. But in verses 14 and 15, he says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, church, is do we know the good shepherd? Do we recognize his voice? You see, the best way to ensure that we're not heading towards those false shepherds, that we're not taking ourselves straight to to our death, but that we're heading toward life and life abundantly, isn't to study those false shepherds, isn't to look at, you know, all those false voices who, would, who seek to lead us astray and ask ourselves, okay, you know, what characterizes them? No, it's instead to turn to the good shepherd and to study the good shepherd and to learn about the good shepherd and abide with the good shepherd, to know him and to draw nearer to him, to place our trust in him and follow after him. And like I mentioned earlier, when we say, just like Psalm 23 begins, when we say the Lord is my shepherd, we're acknowledging two things, right? We're acknowledging that we are like sheep. We are like sheep. But we're also acknowledging that the Lord, that God, not only in in a collective sense for us as the church, but in a very personal, intimate way, cares for us. And he wants what is best for us. And so our call is to trust him as our good shepherd and allow him to work in our lives. And so for the next few minutes, I want to look in Psalm 23 in these first three verses. I want to look at what the good shepherd does for his sheep. What characterizes the good shepherd? What can we learn about Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, from this passage? And so I have four things, four things that the good shepherd does for his sheep that I want us to examine this morning. And so first we see that the good shepherd provides for his sheep. The good shepherd provides for his sheep. Psalm 23 verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. Some of you may have a a different translation. It may say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Or the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. I have everything that I need. And what this verse is speaking to is it's speaking to the provision that the good shepherd offers for his sheep. The provision that the good shepherd offers for his sheep. Like I mentioned earlier, sheep are helpless. They cannot take care of themselves. They're totally reliant on the shepherd to take care of all of their needs. And I think when we see this verse, when we see this phrase, I shall not want, we can interpret it with a double meaning. right? It's both a declaration and a decision. It's both a declaration and and a decision. Let me break that down for a second. As a declaration, we can interpret it as, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want because the good shepherd provides. I am declaring that I will not be in need of anything because the good shepherd provides for me. All of my needs are taken care of. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it doesn't matter. The good shepherd provides in all of those ways, and I am declaring that in my life. 
When I am emotionally drained, the Good Shepherd provides. When I don't know how I'm going to pay, you know, make the next payment on my bills, the Good Shepherd provides. When my world is falling apart, when my relationships crumble, when my mental health is unstable, the Good Shepherd provides. It's a declaration that no matter what life throws our way, no matter the turmoil, the chaos that's going on in our world, the Good Shepherd provides. The Good Shepherd provides for His sheep. But it's not only a declaration. I think that we can also interpret this as a decision that we make for our own lives. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want anything more than the Good Shepherd provides. I will not ask for anything more than the Good Shepherd provides, because I recognize that He knows what's best, that He is providing for me. And, And I don't just say this flippantly, because this is a tough statement. It's a tough statement to say And to truly mean, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want more. But think about a shepherd with his sheep, right? It's the whole metaphor that that, that this is built around. A shepherd doesn't store up food for his sheep. A shepherd doesn't sit down, gather his sheep around and say, okay guys, this is the plan for the week, right? This is what we're going to do today, tomorrow we're heading over here, then the next day, don't worry, I've got you guys. No, he doesn't do that. It's a day-by-day thing with the shepherd and the sheep. And the sheep don't worry whether or not the shepherd's going to take care of them the next day. The sheep don't sit there and worry where their next meal is going to come from. They don't worry if they're going to have a safe place to lay their head the next day because they trust the shepherd. They trust the shepherd. They know that the shepherd has led them this far and he's going to continue to provide for them, continue to take care of them going forward. And again... That's tough, right? We, we as humans, I think we're naturally future-oriented. I know that I myself, I'm naturally future-oriented. I'm always thinking about the next thing, what comes next. And, and when we have that mentality, it's so easy to get out of the mindset of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We start to think, okay, what, what do I have to do to take care of myself next? How can I start you know, working towards something different? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with planning. But we have to have that trust in our heart for the good shepherd that he will provide for us day after day in all of those ways. And you see that the other false shepherds, the other false voices, they like to say that they will provide for all of our needs, but that promise always comes up short. They're always going to fall short in at least one of those ways. Or they may offer some temporary provision, right? But it's not the eternal provision that is offered by the Good Shepherd. It's not that life and life abundantly that Christ says He has to offer. It's not our jobs. It's not our relationships. It's not ourselves, right? Those things may certainly provide for some of our needs, but they don't come close to offering the provision that is offered by the Good Shepherd. The provision that allows us to truly say to ourselves, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. And so the good shepherd, he provides for his sheep. We also see that the good shepherd nurtures his sheep. The good shepherd nurtures his sheep. Look with me at at verse 2. It's talking again about the shepherd. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The good shepherd nurtures, takes care of his sheep. And we see two primary ways that David discusses that this is done. 
The good shepherd nurtures first by, by giving his sheep rest. By giving his sheep rest. You see that first part of verse 2, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. When we think about green pastures, I don't know about you, but I, I tend to think of you know a really rut, uh, a, a really lush, rich valley. If you've ever driven up the road toward, toward Guthrie and out into Kentucky, you don't have to go very far before you see these beautiful green pastures with, with really rich grass growing. And I think that's the image that often comes to, to our mind, but I think it's important that we remember this was written by King David, who lived in Israel. And Israel's not exactly known for being the greenest place uh, on planet Earth. It's a pretty dry, a pretty, a pretty arid place. Uh, and so in Israel, there's actually two rainy seasons a year. There's two very short rainy seasons a year. And, and outside of that, it's, it's a dry place. It's an arid place. And you may have somewhat green pastures after those rainy seasons. Uh, but even then, outside of that, it's, it's just it's dry. It's, it's a desert. It's a wasteland. And, and so sort of the imagery that we see David creating here is that God, the Lord, Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, He's leading us out of drought, out of weariness, out of a period maybe of spiritual, emotional, just dryness and death into a season of green pastures, of rest, of times where we can just unwind for a bit. On top of that, there was a tradition, there was a custom, actually among shepherds at the time when David was writing this, that um, maybe not every day, but most days around noon, the shepherd would take the sheep into the greenest pastures that they could find, but the pastures that provided the most for those sheep, they would take them there about noon of the day, and for about three or four hours, they would just let the sheep rest. They would just let the sheep graze. They wouldn't try and move them on to another field. They wouldn't try and move them on into the pen. They would let them have their time of rest. And so what David is saying here is that the Good Shepherd, he nurtures us by giving us that rest, right? We don't just stumble into these green pastures on our own. We don't just come upon this rest by accident. No, it says he makes us to lie down in green pastures. He is the cause of our rest. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Christ says this. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Good Shepherd, He continually, habitually leads us into a time, into a period of rest. He knows when we need it and He gives it to us. And this isn't just, you know, a one-time thing, right? It's not one time the, the sheep are led into the green pastures and they have, you know, this moment, once it's done, that's it, right? You don't have one period of rest in your life and, oh, if you miss it, you're in trouble. Guess you have to continue on. No, it's continual. It's habitual rest that God nurtures us with and by putting it into our lives. And so he offers us this rest, but he also offers us this peace. He nurtures us with peace. It says he leads me beside still waters. Now while studying for this passage, while, while I'm looking into some things, I actually learned an interesting fact about sheep, something that I wouldn't have thought to be the case at all. Sheep are capable swimmers. Right? When I read this passage, I tend to think that 
you know, okay, the sheep need the quiet waters, right? Maybe they're bothered by a moving stream. Maybe they can't handle crossing a stream or something like that, but that's not the case at all. They're, they're capable swimmers. They're more than capable of going across moving waters. They're not bothered by the noise. In other words, they don't need peaceful, quiet waters. And yet the good shepherd leads them to them anyway. He leads the sheep to those peaceful, still waters anyway. And I think the same is kind of true for us. You see, to an extent, we can handle on our own the chaos and the turmoil that goes on in our lives, right? God is a great God who created very capable human beings. And to an extent, we can handle the chaos. As a matter of fact, I would argue that some people, maybe even some people in here, we're addicted to the chaos. We're addicted to the grind, addicted to the busyness of modern life. We don't like peace We don't like quiet. We don't like stillness. We're uncomfortable when that comes. But what God is calling us to do here is to let go, to lean into Him, to allow Him to lead us to those quiet waters, to allow Him to lead us into a time of peace, into a time of stillness, when we're disconnected from the chaos that's going on around us. And once again, church, I can't stress this enough. This is only something that the good shepherd provides. Those other false shepherds, those those false voices, they cannot offer that peace. They cannot offer that rest, right? See, if we listen to the shepherd of self, if we listen to our own voices, we're never going to be good enough, right? We'll never be finished. There's always going to be something more for us to work, work toward because we are all so acutely aware of how imperfect we truly are. There's always something for us to be worried about. There's no rest there. There's no peace there. If we listen to the voice of the people around us, it's the same. If we listen to the shepherd of the world, of our culture, right? It's constantly changing the bar of of what it means to be a good worker, a good friend, a good husband, wife, brother, sister, whatever it may be, just a good person, right? If that's the shepherd that we follow, we have no hope of ever entering into those seasons of rest, entering into those those seasons of peace. True rest, true peace, it's not going to come from a long vacation. It's not going to come from spending a weekend away, getting away from the kids, from, from starting a new Netflix series. You know, all those are good things, all those things that I enjoy. But true peace, true rest, it's only coming from Christ, the Good Shepherd. John 14, verse 27, God says, Or Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, only Jesus Christ, church, only the good shepherd can offer us true rest, true peace for our weary souls, because he calls us to him, just as we are. He says, come to me. He tells us he loves us, just as we are. He invites us to trust in him, to lead us into those seasons of rest and peace. So the Good Shepherd, He provides for us. He nurtures us, His sheep. But the Good Shepherd, we see, He restores. The Good Shepherd restores His sheep. Verse 3 begins, He restores my soul. And other translations may say, He restores my strength. He he renews my strength. He renews my life. But all of those speak to this idea of restoration. Restoration. Now, This 
may not be the, the manliest thing for me to admit from being up here, but there is a TV show that I think gets this idea across pretty well that, that I love. You may have heard of it. It's called Fixer Upper. I, TV show, some of you laughing because you know the show. T- Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines. You've probably heard of the name. They, they take these houses that maybe were, were once beautiful, that once served this great function, and they become dilapidated. They're, they're sort of worn out. And they take these houses and they flip them and they restore them. They make them beautiful and worthy of living in and selling uh, yet again. Uh, maybe a better example um, for, for the manly men in here would be like, think about, think about an old car, you know, your 1969 Ford Mustang that's been sitting in the garage. It's, it's gotten rusty. It's worn down. And you have someone come in who knows what they're doing and they restore it and they, and they bring it out. And you have this beautiful, just classic vehicle. Right? Those things were in need of restoration in the same way sheep. They were often in need of restoration. And part of a shepherd's job was whenever a sheep was hurt, whenever he, a sheep was injured, the shepherd would, would find it, would heal it, would nurture it, but restore it back to the flock. Or whenever a sheep was lost, you've probably heard of the famous parable from Matthew 18, the parable of the lost sheep. Right? The shepherd has a hundred sheep. One gets lost. What does he do? He leaves the 99 to find that lost sheep to restore it back to the flock. Church, we are the exact same way. Right? Our souls often find themselves in need of restoration. And this passage, this verse, it's not simply talking about the one-time restoration right? that comes by accepting Christ, by believing in Him. No, it's talking about the continual restoration that our souls need from the Good Shepherd. Right? The wear and tear of sinfulness and the effects of this world leave our, soul, leave our souls in a constant state in need of restoration. I think of, of the great uh, hymn, one of my favorites, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, that, that beautiful line says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We're all that way. We're all prone to leave the flock And we need the Good Shepherd to come to us, to meet us where we are, and to restore us back to the flock. To do, provide for us what what we can't provide on our own. To restore ourselves back to Him. To renew our souls from the state, you know, that they so desperately need to be renewed from. We see a beautiful example of this in in Scripture, and for the sake of time, I won't read the passage, but you have Peter, right? Peter, the, the bold disciple at the Last Supper. Christ says, you know, one of you is going to deny me. Peter says, I'm not denying you, Christ. I'm with you to the end. It's like, the rest of these guys, they may turn their backs on you. I'm with you through thick and thin. Okay, just a few hours later, in the middle of the night, Peter denies Christ three times. Couldn't even make it through one night before he denies Christ. And and after the resurrection, after Christ comes back and he's meeting uh, with some of his disciples, um, we have this beautiful scene First of all, I can see, I can just see Peter sitting there as Jesus and, and seven of the disciples, and Peter's probably kind of, you know, looking the other way, not wanting to talk to Christ. He's like, maybe if I don't look at him, he won't have anything to say to me. But what we see Jesus do is he comes to Peter, and gently he asks him three times, right? Just as many times as Peter denied Christ, he said, Peter, do you love me? He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And what Christ does is he gently comes to Peter and he restores him back to the flock because he knew the important role that Peter had to play. He knew what Peter was going to do for the Lord. And and there's so much that we can take away from that story in Scripture, but the main point is this, the restoration that our souls need, it might be hard. 
Right? It might be difficult, it might be uncomfortable because it calls us to come face to face with our own failures and where we fall short. But we know that because Christ loves us, right? even if we think we've done too much, even if, like Peter, we've, we've even think we've denied Christ too many times, Christ extends a loving hand and He restores us back to His flock. He's the good shepherd who restores And so the good shepherd, he provides for his sheep, he nurtures his sheep, he restores his sheep. And then fourth and finally, we see that the good shepherd guides his sheep. He says, he restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now this phrase, paths of righteousness, it's often translated as right paths, depending upon the translation you have. But let me encourage you not to get caught up there because the right paths are going to be the paths of righteousness. Okay, The right paths are going to be paths that lead us into righteousness. Paths that lead us closer to the Lord, that, that see us become more like Him. It's a path of obedience to Christ, to the call that He has placed on our lives to follow the Good Shepherd. But on top of that, it's a call for us to surrender. You see, we have to be willing to submit to the Good Shepherd's guidance, not to try and pursue our own paths. I've mentioned this already, but sheep aren't smart. They don't know where they're going on their own. That's why we train dogs to take care of them. I've actually experienced this firsthand in my own life. My buddy Sam is here. We grew up together, and I'm sure he remembers this. There was a time when he lived out on a farm, and they had sheep. Uh, and I'm not making up the story. He can testify to this. There was a gate about this wide in a barn that we needed to lead the sheep into. And beside the gate, you know, there was a little wooden fence. And I watched this sheep. I kid you not. I watched this sheep right beside the gate walk his head straight into that wooden wooden fence. Boom. And then he kind of stepped back a little bit and was like, huh, okay. And he did the exact same thing again. Banged his head on the fence back to back before he finally, you know, walked in, walked through that gate, and it's a funny example, but church, that is us. That is us. We are, we are that, that dumb sheep, right? The, 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 the gate is right there. Christ says, this is the way you have to go. Don't worry, God, I got it. Boom, straight into the fence. We stop and we think, I'll try it again. Boom, straight into the fence. And, and it's funny, right? It is funny, but it's sad. How often do we try and do that, do it ourselves? How often do we try and rely on our own guidance? And let me tell you, church, if that's what we're doing, we're never going to walk down paths of righteousness. Right? None is righteous, no, not one. Never in our lives are we going to be able to achieve a state of righteousness on our own. That only comes with the guidance of the Good Shepherd. Our constant bent, the bent of our flesh is toward evil. We are sinful. Right? That's the entire reason Christ took on flesh in the first place and he died for, on the cross for our sins. Because left to our own devices, left to our own selves, we could not walk those paths of righteousness and we need a Savior to step in. And what we see here, this, this final phrase that I want to look at as we start to wrap up, is it says, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake. You see, not only... For our goodness, not only that we get to experience salvation and eternal life through him, it's for his name's sake. It's, for, it's about God's goodness. It's not about my goodness. It's about God's glory. It's not about my glory. And church, this is, this is huge. It's so important that we truly understand this. Because if we think, about, if we think it's about 
our goodness, if we think of it's about our own goodness and glory, then when we stumble, when we, when we struggle on these paths, then man, we failed. Right? We failed. We couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't walk the path on our own. But it's not because we're worthy. It's because he is the good shepherd who loves us, the good shepherd who is committed to us, who wants to bless us, that he guides us on those paths of righteousness. And so instead, our focus is taken off of us. It's placed on him. We see his beauty. We see his love for us. We, and we want to love and we want to serve and, and follow him, follow the voice of the good shepherd and glorify him in return. And it's through this process that we find our righteousness, that we walk along the paths of righteousness.